98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. Hong Kong records another 66 locally contracted COVID-19 cases. A woman who tested negative for the virus is sent to an isolation ward by mistake after a hospital mix-up. And Britain confirms it's suspending its extradition treaty with Hong Kong. Various clusters of COVID-19 cases in Hong Kong are continuing to grow, with the city adding another 66 local infections to its tally today. 39 are linked to previous coronavirus cases, including a private doctor in Causeway Bay who's believed to have caught the virus from a patient. But the number of new cases is down from Sunday's record high, and Dr Chuang Shukwan from the Centre for Health Protection was asked if this is a good sign. We cannot judge the trend according to one or two days figures because there's a incubation period and what we are seeing now reflects what happens in the past one to two weeks. So we have to observe for a few days to see the actual trend. Meanwhile, the hospital authority has appealed to people with no respiratory symptoms not to go to public hospitals for testing. It says this will increase the risk of infection and add to the burden on their laboratories. Dr Linda Yu is a chief manager with the authority. For the public, as I mentioned, for uh, asymptomatic patients, we don't prefer them to get testing in our A&E department or our uh, general outpatient clinic because uh, we serve the symptomatic patient and we want to give them timely testing and also treatment if they are being confirmed. Hong Kong health officials say a woman was sent to an isolation ward by mistake this week after her file was mixed up with another patient's. The woman spent several hours on a ward with infected patients before the error was discovered. Tom McElinden has the details. The Centre for Health Protection says the 47-year-old woman had actually tested negative for coronavirus. But she was sent to a COVID-19 ward after lab staff accidentally keyed in her file number instead of that of a 34-year-old woman who had tested positive. The centre says the chance of the older woman being infected while she was in the COVID-19 ward was low because it had good ventilation. The woman who did have the virus meanwhile had been admitted to North Lantau Hospital on Sunday, being as her husband was known to be infected and she had a cough and fever. mix-up came to light after staff waiting for her file started to wonder why it hadn't arrived. She was later moved to an isolation unit at Princess Margaret Hospital. Dr Dominic Chung from the centre explained that the laboratory staff were very tired because they had to clear a huge backlog of tests. But he said this was no excuse and in future they'd double-check all the positive results. Education Secretary Kevin Young says international schools and kindergartens can't be allowed to start the new academic year any before any time before August 17th because there's no sign of the COVID-19 pandemic abating. Francis Sitt reports. The education minister says many kindergartens and international schools were hoping to start the new school year before the middle of August. But with the worsening COVID-19 outbreak, he says it's highly unlikely that they will be allowed to reopen as scheduled. Mr Yuan says the government will see how the coronavirus situation unfolds in the next two weeks and then make an announcement. We at least need two weeks to assess whether we could resume the new school year on the 17th of August. The final commencement date will be dependent on the development of the epidemic. We will notify the schools as soon as the final decision is made and will allow at least two weeks for their preparation. Mr Yuan says half-day schooling, partial class resumptions and other crowd management arrangements will be considered as authorities make plans for the new school year. The government will also hold talks with the sector and decide whether it's safe for other schools to reopen on September the 1st, he says. But even if all schools do reopen in September, Mr Yuan says it will also be 
be highly unlikely that cross-border students below Form 4 can come to Hong Kong to attend class, given the difficulty in making the necessary transport and health-related arrangements. Britain has confirmed it's suspending its extradition treaty with Hong Kong over the new national security law. The announcement was made a short time ago in Parliament by Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab. He also said the UK is extending an arms embargo to Hong Kong of potentially lethal weapons. In response to the legislation, the UK had already offered residency rights to some 3 million Hong Kongers who have BNO passports. Canada and Australia recently suspended their extradition treaties with Hong Kong and last week the US announced it was also planning to do so. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. Experts have warned that the government may have to confine people to their homes if the latest social distancing measures fail to erase, ease Hong Kong's coronavirus outbreak. Joanna Wong has details. Various entertainment venues are closed. Dining in is restricted in restaurants. Wearing masks is compulsory in all indoor public places. And we're back to a four-person limit on gatherings. Civil servants are also now working from home again, with many private firms likely to have followed suit. But some medical experts fear all this might not be enough to halt Hong Kong's climbing coronavirus numbers. Infectious disease expert David Hui from the Chinese University says if cases continues to soar, the government may have no choice but to restrict people from going out of their homes. Professor Hui's views were echoed by microbiologist Yun Kwok Yong, who's also a member of the government's expert team of advisors on the coronavirus outbreak. On a radio program, Professor Yun also suggested that the government should start thinking about its strategy in acquiring vaccines for the public. It will be a difficult decision, he said, because several companies are trying to develop the vaccine and the world needs to wait for the results of larger clinical trials to see if there's any side effects. Hong Kong may not be able to get their hands on any vaccine if it lags behind others in putting in its orders. The University of Hong Kong professor says the government could put in advance orders or make deposits first before deciding which specific vaccine to buy later. A microbiologist from the University of Hong Kong says the number of new coronavirus cases in the city is likely to continue climbing, at least in the short term, as it will take time to see results from the introduction of enhanced control measures last week. Professor Sridhar Siddharth told Anna Marie Evans that the effectiveness of these latest control measures will be reflected in the rate of decline of new cases, which he expects to see in the coming one to two weeks. I think the numbers are likely to continue to climb because, uh, well, enhanced control measures were instituted at the beginning of last week. So a lot of the um, cases that we're seeing today have already been infected before, their, before those control measures were put into place. So it is reasonable to expect that there will be some rise in the number of cases uh, until the control measures start to come into effect. So I wouldn't quite describe it as not under control, but I think the public should be resigned to the fact that we'll be seeing an increasing number of cases until the measures come into effect. How effective these measures will be will be reflected in the in the rate of 
decline in the cases. But I expect there to be some decline in the rate of cases in the coming uh, one or two weeks. Now, some people are still going out and having gatherings. Do you think they're underestimating the seriousness of the pandemic? And what can authorities do to tackle people's complacency? Right. I think one of the major challenges this time around compared to February or March is that there is an attitude of normalization because uh, we read in the media that the COVID-19 is raging around the world and uh, people are somewhat resigned to it. Uh, I must emphasize, however, that this is not the new normal. We must aim for a zero COVID Hong Kong and this must be our aim to get uh, to, to, to make sure that the Hong Kong economy is sustainable in the long term and uh, people don't have to live under lockdown conditions. So I think the government must uh, do its best to repeatedly ram home the importance of wearing masks, physical distancing and hand hygiene on the personal level to make sure that COVID-19 is under control in Hong Kong. Are there any loopholes, though, do you feel in the government policy in terms of people being, you know, coming in? Right. Well, I think uh, there were some loopholes, uh, definitely in June, which uh, granted exemptions to people coming in from overseas. And uh, I think there is no doubt that the ultimate source of the current uh, epidemic of COVID-19 in Hong Kong is from overseas cases because we had achieved zero local transmission for an appreciable period of time. So those loopholes will have to be closed down. But we live and learn. I mean, it's, it's a very complicated situation and places around the world are struggling with these cycles of, you know, uh, lifting of restrictions followed by coronavirus surges with with, uh, reintroduction of uh, restrictions. So Hong Kong is no exception to that. Now, some people are going to different health institutions hoping to be tested, including some who are merely worried but without any symptoms or risk factor. Do you think that's necessary? Personally, I'm a big fan of uh, testing, but uh, we have to be uh, rational in terms of who we test and how much testing we perform. Uh, I think uh, what the government is doing in terms of sector-specific testing and aiming to roll out the test to 300 or 400,000 Hong Kongers is a good first step. But I think in terms of the logistics for offering broader testing for the asymptomatic individuals in the community, uh, I, I don't think we're there yet as far as the facilities are concerned. And that's that's what we see from various private institutions that are reporting full bookings and they're not able to take any more uh, testing from the community. So at the moment, we have to work on increasing our testing facilities and then uh Depending on how COVID-19 is circulating in the community in Hong Kong, we can talk about broader testing of asymptomatic individuals, but I don't think the facilities are there as yet. Public and private coronavirus testing facilities in Hong Kong appear to be getting swamped as demand for checks surge amid the latest outbreak. Priscilla Ng reports. RTHK checked the websites of labs offering coronavirus tests and called up a number of hospitals, including Baptist, Glen Eagles and the Hong Kong Sanatorium and Hospital, with all of them either saying they're fully booked today or for the week or not answering calls at all. The two private laboratories, Chen and Hao Medical Laboratories and E-Group, also said they are very full and will only conduct tests for cases referred by private doctors. Results are not available for at least three to four days. Pressure is also mounting on Department of Health testing facilities. One RTHK reporter who asked to undergo a COVID test after a resident in her residential block came down with the virus said she submitted her sample last Thursday but has not yet received the results. The reporter said she's desperate to know whether or not she poses a threat to public health so she and her family can plan their work arrangements. 
And as Hong Kong battles its way out of the latest wave of COVID-19 infections, a lot of companies have quickly adopted special work arrangements. Many workers say the the changes are understandable, but some are not so happy about the disruption caused. Jimmy Choi has the story. Since the number of local coronavirus infections began to surge again last week, many firms have brought back the special work arrangements they adopted in March and April, when the city was hit by a wave of infections. Some firms have split staff into teams to alternate between working from home and at the office. Others allowing staff to adopt more flexible hours. And there's mixed views among workers. Charles, who's in the shipping industry, says some colleagues are staying at home while others go into work. He's not impressed with the arrangement. Uh, it's frustrating because I can't really work very well at home. I don't think anyone really can. And um, But no, hopefully just a, a small or rather a short-term gap before... Uh, the third wave, uh, you know, is under control. So it's uh, it's a necessary measure, but it's frustrating. I would like to be back at work, yeah, full time, because I can work much more effectively. Mr. Chan, who works at an accountant firm, says his company has asked all staff to work from home from this week, after an employee was suspected of having come down with the virus. He says the sudden move has affected some of his more urgent work, adding that face-to-face collaboration with his colleagues is needed for certain duties. But he says overall he understands the need for safer working arrangements during the pandemic, adding this could help reduce risky behaviour, such as people eating lunch with their colleagues. Jason, who's in the banking sector, says his company has asked staff to go into the office on a rotating basis. He says despite the difficulty in completing certain tasks from home, he thinks it's best if everyone just stays inside. If I want to download some data used in the office, probably uh, it's difficult for me to work at home. But I think uh, the health gear is the first important thing, right? I think we can uh, shut down everything uh, for only one or two weeks. And when the situation gets better, we can restart. So I prefer, I mean, the government take some good action. <laughs> he also criticised the government for not acting promptly enough to adopt work-from-home arrangements for civil servants, leaving little time for the private sector to adjust and follow suit. At the weekend, Chief Executive Carrie Lam announced that the government was suspending all non-essential and non-emergency services and allowing most civil servants to work from home. The policy shift came just about a week after she said it wouldn't be suitable for all civil servants to work from home, adding that individual departments could instead adopt flexible working and lunch hours. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. Hong Kong records another 66 locally contracted COVID-19 cases. A woman who tested negative for the virus is sent to an isolation ward by mistake after a hospital mix-up. And Britain confirms it's suspending its extradition treaty with Hong Kong. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. Hong Kong's unemployment rate has risen further at 6.2% for the period between April and June. That's up 0.3 percentage points on the previous reading, with another 10,000 people losing their jobs as the coronavirus pandemic continues to take a toll on the city's economy. The jobless rate has increased across almost all the major economic sectors and remains at a 15-year high. In the catering industry, the unemployment rate is hovering around the post-SARS high of 14.7 percent, and it's at 10.7 percent for retail and tourism-related industries. The underemployment rate also worsened, rising from 3.5% to 3.7%.
ING Wholesale Banking's Greater China Chief Economist Iris Pang told Timmy Sung that the figures are worse than expected. Last month, Hong Kong didn't have uh, so many COVID cases as of now. So uh, we didn't expect an increase of unemployment that is that fast. Our expectation was 6.1%. So uh, this is quite unexpected. And the main sector that has been affected by COVID and therefore more more unemployment is still catering services which has an unemployment rate of 14.8%. So would, would it be much worse if the government didn't introduce the employment subsidy scheme? Yes, that would. But we also uh, worry that when the scheme ends, there will be a jump in unemployment because uh, some of the employees that have hold on to their jobs, mainly because of the scheme. The Hong Kong government may need to extend the uh, employment scheme for a few months so that uh, there would not be a jump in unemployment when the scheme ends and the COVID is when the COVID is still um, lingering on. So we are talking about a, a total of nine months period. Yeah, we, we may need uh, even longer because um, we are still in the middle of reaching the peak of COVID and we don't know when it will be really a peak. We have also seen a rise in local COVID infections recently. Uh, how will that affect the unemployment rate that should start in July, so we expect that from next month to three months uh, later that uh, we'll, we'll have a higher unemployment rate and the catering business will be at, uh, at the core of the hit. So um, we expect that the catering business unemployment rate could increase to around 17% and overall unemployment rate could reach 8%. Is that very close to the, uh, to the, to the figure during the SARS period? Yes. Uh, during SARS, uh, which, it, which the um, unemployment rate was the highest in Hong Kong's uh, recorded history, so we are approaching the peak. As far as I know, it is 8.4%. Greater China Chief Economist at ING Wholesale Banking, Aris Pang, speaking to RTHK's Timmy Sung. A concern group says 15 people detained at the Castle Peak Bay Immigration Centre are still on hunger strike three weeks after they started. According to the CIC Detainees' Rights Concern Group, one of the 15 is now also refusing water. The group says at least two dozen people started the protest on June the 29th over what they see as their indefinite detention at the facility. A member of the concern group, Anna Tsui, told Richard Pine that these hunger strikers have been held for nearly two months and nearly two years, and they feel there's no other way to raise complaints about their plight. They have tried a lot of legal means to do it, so they tried to have a lawyer to seek a JR of their removal order to ask questions about how long they're going to be detained. They tried to complain using the mechanism within the CIC, but then the answer is always very bureaucratic. You just have to wait longer. So a lot of them expressed uh, deep impatience about this, and 
uh, it was a huge physical and mental torture for them to not meet their families outside. Quite a few of them got families outside holding permanent Hong Kong IDs, so they really don't understand why they cannot just get bailed out or get a recognizance paper while their cases are being processed. And a lot of them are also torture claimants or applying to be torture claimants. They also don't understand why their case can't be processed outside. Is this something that happens regularly at CIC or is this something that maybe has, has come about because of the coronavirus situation? So, um, unfortunately, it is something that happens regularly in the CIC. That is because the situation is so desperate that uh, people really can only resort to self-harm in form of fungus strike to get attention from the staff to care about them. So, as far as we know, fungus strike happened at least in the year 2000, 2006, 2008, 9, um, 17 and 18. Like, these are from friends that we actually know or, or stuff that we read online. So it reflects that this really is a common tactic, unfortunately, for people to raise concern about their situation. And what has been sort of the response from staff or, or officials that you may have brought this to? In terms of the formal reply, the immigration department director had a phone call with uh, Fernando Dern, the legislator, on last Monday, I think so. And he sort of gave a positive reply saying that he will review each case of the hunger strikers as well as the other 200 plus cases in CIC and arrange early release for those who doesn't really need to be detained. But the reality from what we heard in visits with hunger strikers is that the staff's attitude to them remained pretty bad. That they could be saying foul language to them. They could be saying, if you don't want to eat, just die. And when they ask, okay, can, when can I be released? when they're on strike, like at least for seven times the staff just replied, just keep waiting. So on the ground, there isn't a lot of changes, except last Wednesday, we also reviewed a case of someone getting inadequate medical attention for uh, an arm hurt, then he got a bit better medical attention. But for the others who also raised the problem of inadequate medical attention, they didn't get any extra care. Are, are you actually hopeful of seeing some change then because it has been about three weeks since this hunger strike started yeah so i think it's exactly three weeks now so the director also said that he can consider having a meeting with the hunger striker and their family and friends and perhaps even cic concern group in his phone call with Fernando Jai. that's why we had an action last wednesday outside the wan chai immigration center but then i don't think we got any new replies from them so we are really unsure because we know how inhumane the cic can be from previous records and also a piece of news is that at least one hunger striker had started to go on without water last Saturday. So before they have been relying on water and milk tea to survive, but one of them has, at least one of them has escalated their action. So this may ha have an effect on the immigration department reply. Members of the pro-democracy camp are split on whether they should sign a form pledging allegiance to the SAR as part of their bids to stand in September's LegCo elections. The confirmation form is not part of the nomination documents, but the new national security law says anyone standing for election needs to make such a declaration. Damon Pang reports. Former Democesto leader Joshua Wong is one of the latest to sign up for the polls, hoping to contest a seat in Kowloon East. He says Beijing officials will have to consider his candidacy for the legislature as a matter of geopolitics and foreign diplomacy. 
Mr. Wong says he wants to show the world that even though there's strong suppression from the mainland, Hong Kongers choose not to surrender. He insists he's not signing the confirmation letter, saying it's not a prerequisite for would-be candidates, but a tool to divide the pro-democracy camp. Pacific Party Stannis Kwok, who is seeking re-election in the legal sector, says he is signing it, along with other members of the professional skill, as a show of unity. The pro-democracy camp's IT sector hopeful Wong Ho Hua is also signing, as he looks to take up the torch from Charles Mock, another member of the guild. But despite Mr Kwok's claim, there doesn't seem to be that much unity on the issue. Civic Party hopeful for Hong Kong Island, Cheng Tat Hong, says he and his party mates running for directly elected seats have agreed not to fill in the confirmation form. The FTU's Bill Tang and the DAB's Joe Lai have also submitted bids to run in Kowloon East. Would-be candidates for Hong Kong Island so far are the Democratic Party's Ted Hoy, District Councillors Tiffany Yoon and Fergus Leung, the DAB's Horace Cheung, Civic Passion's Chong Yan, and Hong Kong Young Hearts' Tang Wai Chun. Police say they've seized $43 million worth of the drug ice that was hidden inside industrial machinery brought into the city last month. A man and a woman are due in court in Fanling tomorrow charged with drug trafficking. Timmy Sung reports. Detectives say the machinery with the drugs inside arrived in Hong Kong from Mexico last month. They say they raided a remote warehouse in Fanning on Saturday and found two people cutting open the hydraulic cylinders and other gear. The force says it has managed to extract 67.3 kilos of ice so far, and there's still more machinery to open. Superintendent Raymond Chow is from the Narcotics Bureau. In cases where the drugs are actually concealed within the, the machineries, uh, I think it indeed it poses uh, some challenges to law enforcement in the detection from these kind of machineries and also with use, using some sophisticated equipment to enable us to dismantle these uh, machineries. So uh, indeed it, it really poses some challenges and also makes it more difficult to detect. Mr Chow said the ice is in powder form rather than the more common crystal form. We believe that the powder form is enabled them to compress into a smaller size so that within the same storage of volume they can have a, have a, bigger, a bigger amount of drugs being smuggled in in order to flock up their profits. Detectives say they believe the drug was to be sold in Hong Kong and prices have gone up by about 20% since travel restrictions were imposed due to the pandemic. Hang Seng Index's company will launch a new Nasdaq Composite Index-like benchmark next Monday, aiming to track the performance of technology companies. The Hang Seng Tech Index, which will be reviewed quarterly, will track the 30 largest technology companies listed in the SAR, which have high exposure to technology themes like the internet, fintech, cloud and e-commerce. The company's deputy chief executive officer, Anita Mo, says the launch will facilitate the development of various index-linked products, including funds and derivatives, and further boost Hong Kong's status as a financial hub. She says she hopes the new index can join the Hang Seng Index and the Hang Seng China Enterprises Index to become one of their flagship indices. For the first time since January, a sumo wrestling tournament has got underway in Japan in front of a live audience. The 15-day event began in Tokyo on Sunday despite a rising number of coronavirus infections in the capital in recent days. The tournament was originally due to be held in the central city of Nagoya behind closed doors, 
but officials decided to switch the event to Tokyo to minimise the amount of travel by wrestlers and officials and to allow small numbers of fans to watch. The BBC's Siobhan Leahy reports. Fans queuing outside Tokyo's Ryogoku Sumo Hall on Sunday welcomed wrestlers with applause for the first time in months. The stadium can seat more than 11,000 people, but only 2,500 spectators were allowed inside to watch. Before going in, they had to undergo temperature checks. Face masks were mandatory, and approaching wrestlers for autographs was strictly forbidden. During the event, fans were asked to refrain from cheering and stick to clapping instead. Just a day earlier, the Japan Sumo Association held a ceremony to pray for the tournament's safety and success amid the coronavirus pandemic. The number of infections in Tokyo has been mounting in recent days, and last week the city's governor raised the pandemic alert to its highest level. But these fans said the excitement of sumo was worth the risk. Well, it's scary, isn't it? But I love sumo, so I want to watch this. It's the feeling of being here present. You enjoy it live by being a part of the spectacle yourself. That's what watching spectator sports is all about, isn't it? I am grateful that they are doing this. This is Japan's national sport. You want to watch this live. It will be different, a bit tough. You want to use your voice. If you can't, then that'll be tough. It's not just the fans who are potentially at risk of contracting the virus. Several wrestlers and officials have tested positive since the pandemic began. And in May, a 28-year-old sumo fighter died from the virus after spending a month in intensive care. In the weeks that followed, Aurora Satoshi, sumo's heaviest ever wrestler, told media that fighters needed to rein in their enormous appetites and take better care of their health to avoid catching the disease. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Thanks to Sean Kennedy. We'll have more headlines on Radio 3 coming up at midnight. I kissed her and she kissed me Like the fella once said Ain't that a kick in the head The room was completely black I hugged her and she hugged back Like the sailor said, quote Ain't that a hole in the boat My head keeps spinning I go to sleep and keep grinning If this is just the beginning My life is gonna be Beautiful, I've sunshine enough to spread It's just like the fella said Tell me quick, ain't love a kick in the head Said, ain't that a kick in the head? (laughs) 
the sailor said, quote, ain't that a hole in a boat? My head keeps spinning, I go to sleep and keep grinning, if this is just the beginning, my life is gonna be beautiful, she's telling me we'll be wet. She's picked out a king-sized bed I couldn't feel any better Or I'd be sick Tell me quick Boy, ain't love a kick Tell me quick Ain't love a kick In the head 28 minutes before midnight and Uncle Ray having a few days off, a well-deserved break. Uh, so you have me, Kevin Lewis, here uh, tonight through until one and then for the rest of the week. Ain't that a kick in the head? Uh, written in 1960, uh, music by Jimmy Van Hoosen, lyrics Sammy Khan. Um, May the 10th, recorded by uh, Dean Martin and uh, described a swinging big band jazz arrangement. Ain't that a kick in the head? Um, been playing a few musicals in the last hour. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard this on the radio. From um, the 1968 musical motion picture... Chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, chitty bang. 